Good to see y'all this morning. You ready to get into the Word of God? Oh, come on. My little four, my fourth grade football team does better than that. I guess I'm going to have to do it like y'all. Y'all ready to get into the Word of God? Y'all ready to get into the Word of God? <laughs> That's how I do my 4G team. We get excited. We get excited, right? I guess all y'all are Clemson fans. Y'all are like, oh, it's good this morning. <laughs> hey, but all the Carolina fans, too, they're like, oh, we stink, too. <laughs> no, no, tough loss, tough loss. We won't even get into that. Let's get into the Word of God is what we need to get into. Amen. Me, too, brother. That's where we'll be united, okay? Let's pray before we get into the Word of God. Lord, I thank you for uh, your people. I thank you for the ability to gather the, the saints together, to come together and, and to really let the church shine. It's, it's not this building, God. It's these believers in this building. God, we're thankful that you uh, allow us the privilege and the opportunity to come together without persecution and for the time being uh, with no one that is seeking to stop us or to hinder us from any way, in any way. God, I pray that we would take advantage of that and not take it for granted. God, how sad it is that the American church has more freedom than maybe any country, any church in any country in the world, but yet we may be one of the least impactful, God. We may be one of the least passionate and informed. Lord, how many Christians do we have that have no idea what the Scriptures teach? So this morning, may it never be said of us that we did not get into the Word of God, that we did not be trained in righteousness, that we were not uh, built up and, 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 and strengthened and, and prepared for the work of the ministry, God. Be with me a uh, very fallible and human servant. I make mistakes, God, and and I'm not perfect, Lord, but your word is. So any word that would come that doesn't directly line up with your scriptures, God, may it, be, may it fall on deaf ears. But take the word of God and strengthen us and impart wisdom to us, uh, lead us, mature us, so that we might grow up into the body, that we might build each other up in love, and that we might do the work of the ministry in our world watching the kingdom of God be ushered in through the proclamation of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for already showing us that you're here this morning, that you are teaching us, leading us, and guiding us through the Holy Spirit in our inner man, and that we might be built up to be conformed to your image. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Today we are in Galatians. Uh, again, we're continuing on. We're going to look today. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 3. I'm fairly uh, certain, I'm fairly confident that we'll get through verse 18 uh, and that uh, we will be able to uh, look and see what Paul teaches us about uh, the covenant that he made with Abraham, what he teaches us about faith and what that faith means as we look back into the Old Testament. Uh, what does the law accomplish for us or what did the law accomplish for the Old Testament Jew or for Israel? Uh, what does that mean for us? How do we distinguish uh, between what God was doing then and what God is doing now? Was it two different works? Uh, did he change the plan? Uh, did he transform and, and, and regroup and start doing something else? Or was this the way it was from the beginning? What, what is all this about? And how does, how does uh, faith, how does it interact with the Old Testament? And as New Testament believers, really, I don't know, are there any Jews in the room? No, no Jews in the room? For all of us then as Gentiles, what does the Old Testament, how do we relate to the Old Testament? How do we relate to what God wrote to his set-apart people, uh, Israel? Uh, how do we relate to that then? How, how, does it, how does it impact our lives? What's the implications for us as Gentiles in this New Testament age? What's the implications and how can we apply the Old Testament text to our lives? We're going to look at some of that this morning and there's a lot of different ideas and systems and theologies out there, and I've been going through this, and, and this, this, this text is so amazingly deep. But I'm not worried about that this morning. 
I'm not going to focus on a system. I'm not going to try to prove or disprove any system. We're going to go to the text and see what this text says. We're going to go gain understanding from what Paul teaches us, and we're going to see how we can apply that to our life in this day. Amen? Amen. So let's, uh, let's get into the Word of God. If you could stand to your feet in respect for the Word. I'm going to read 6 through 18. If you can't stand because of health, I absolutely understand, and so does God. Galatians 3, starting in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the, who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise uh, of the Spirit, promises of the Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even when a man made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, if you're not very familiar and you're not a student of the scriptures, I just read all of that and you're like, O-M-G, Becky, what have we done? <laughs> we got to go find another church. Um, but I want to break it down for you. I want to show you that this is not as far out. Now, it can. It can get very deep, especially if you're looking at some systems and all this kind of stuff and how different people will understand this and everything. But all I want to do today is I want to get into the text. I just want to go through verse by verse. Let's just see what Paul means. Paul here, and I want to inform you. Now, we opened up the book of Galatians, and we started going straight through it with a couple of different uh, objectives, Okay. The first objective is, is that we want to understand the text within its own context and let Scripture define Scripture and not put on it some outside meaning or read into it what we feel like it should mean or anything like that. So uh, number one is, these are not priority, but one is, is that I want to teach you what, Galat what Paul means when he writes to the Galatians. What's he trying to tell them? Okay, just historical context. What's he teaching them? Two, I want to show you how you can apply these same ways that I'm going through the text to your own personal study. So as we learn the scriptures, we not only want to just learn them, but we want to learn how to learn them. Does that make sense? So you should be taking notes or remember, uh, remembering how, how, did, how did Brandon get to that? Was that an accurate understanding of the text? How did he do that? What did he pull from? What was the avenues that he took to get there? You know, if you want to ask some questions later about study materials or things like that, there's lots of free resources. So that's number two. Three is, is that how is this applicable to my life? How do I apply this to my life? And four, coming right out of all of that and undergirding all of that, what does this mean about Jesus Christ? Now, I've been in discussions with people before. They don't like the fact that I do this, but uh, some don't. But I understand all of Scripture is referring to Jesus Christ. I think Jesus taught that very plainly in Luke chapter 4, uh, 24, verse 27. He said, starting with Moses and the prophets, he showed them how all the Scriptures referred to him. 
So what we want to do is, in every text, Charles Spurgeon would say it this way. He said, the, the man of God must get on uh, whatever verse he's in. He must get on that road, and he follows that road until he gets to Jesus Christ. He does, if he doesn't get to Jesus Christ, he's, a wrong, he's taking a wrong turn somewhere. Tooken, I use that word again. Mike, did you see that? I don't know what happened there. Red came out. That's all I know. So don't tooken stuff, all right? Take it, all right? Galatians chapter 3, uh, is it can be complicated if you make it complicated, but let's just open it up and let's just see what it says. Okay, starting in verse 6, let's look and see. Now, we will have to back up just a hair because uh, verse 6 is coming in on the second half of a thought or a sentence. So let's go back for just a second. Uh, chapter 1 of verse 3 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so we said last week is that this is plainly, we just beat this big drum. We used to have a big drum on stage. We've beat this big drum over and over and over and over and over. Uh, salvation, the, the Holy Spirit, justification, it has nothing to do with works, okay? Have we beat that horse to death already? It has nothing to do with works, absolutely nothing, okay? It, and Paul would say, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's a rhetorical question. We say, by faith, of course, and then he keeps on. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And we said, look, child of God, you entered into this relationship. You were justified, washed clean, made righteous, made perfect, sanctified by the Holy Spirit through faith. Why then, once now you are a believer, you are setting aside the Spirit and entering in again to uh, trying to be made perfect by what you do? And when you don't do the right things, you allow Satan and the law to whisper into your life that you're no good, you're cut off from the family of God because you don't deserve it. When the truth is, you never did deserve it. If the righteousness could come through the law, then Christ wouldn't have had to die. But it couldn't, and so therefore you were justified by Christ. So we say, even after salvation, remember I said somebody asked me when I was going to preach the other half of my message about justification by faith alone. And I said, there is no other half. Justification by faith alone is just that. Justification and sanctification, sanctification comes by faith in Christ alone. There's no other part to that. Now, once you are saved, the, the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the law will be fulfilled in you. But if they're not fulfilled in you, then that doesn't mean that we're not saved. It only means that we need to check whether or not we are walking with Christ because in Christ is found the fulfillment of the law. Now, moving on from that, we've established that. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing by faith? Again, it's a rhetorical question. He's saying he worked the miracles among you. You were transformed. This miracle happened by the Spirit and not by the law. Now, what he's going to do here, and remember, he is addressing Judaizers. He is addressing false teachers who were Jews that had come into the Gentile church, okay, and they started to add to the gospel. And they started to add uh, the fact that they said, you got to be circumcised. It's not just hearing by faith in Jesus Christ. That's good. Now, they didn't take away from the gospel. They added to the gospel, which happens a lot in our Bible Belt. They came in and they say, no, Jesus is good. Yes, you've got to believe. The necessity of faith was never the issue. The sufficiency of faith was the issue. They said, yes, it is necessary to have faith in Christ, but it is also necessary to be circumcised. Jesus is not enough. You must be circumcised. And therefore, we see the same parallel in our own churches, whether it be contemporary churches or traditional churches. The contemporary church, I think, lines up with the Greek. The traditional legalistic church lines up with the Jew. And the legalistic church would say, you've got to dress a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way, or you're not saved. We say, well, we thought it was belief in Jesus Christ and faith in him. The contemporary church says the same thing. You've got to dress a certain way, talk a certain way. It's just the opposite end of the spectrum. You've got, to look, you've got to talk a certain way or you're not truly believed. You are outside of this. But we thought it was faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Christ is in the center of it all. It's not about a system. It's not about a type of church. It's not about a denomination. It's about faith in Christ. Amen? 
So let's get to the scriptures here. Now he's going to say here what he's going to do since he's talking to this Jewish, uh, I mean this Gentile audience about Jewish false teachers who have come in and added to the gospel. What he is going to say is as he addresses the Gentiles and as he addresses the false teachers, he is going to say, listen to me. You may think that what I am preaching to the Gentiles about justification by faith alone in Christ is something new that applies only to the Gentiles. But what Paul is going to say is that this is nothing new. Is that the Jews in the Old Testament, ethnic Israel, the Israelites of the Old Testament that was locked away in bondage in Egypt, that, was, that, that, that received the, the, the law from Mount Sinai, those Israelites, this was the rule for them as well. He's saying that you're wrong all the way around. You're coming in telling the Gentiles that they must be circumcised to be right with God when that's not even true of the Jew. This is why Jesus got freaking ticked off at the Jews. I've said that. And if you read the text and see how the Greek reads, when Jesus says hypocrites, when he reads and you see that exclamation mark, well, they wasn't punctuation in the Greek. It would have been written in a certain way. So when Jesus comes to the, to the, to the, the religious uh, Pharisees, the religious Jews, and he says, you heap up on people burdens that you don't even carry. And, the, and hypocrites is written in all caps. It's like, hypocrites! That's what Jesus would have said. <laughs> I just scared that already, sorry. But it's making a point. You see, you don't have punctuation, so there wasn't an exclamation mark in the Greek, but it would have been written in a certain way where Jesus, and, he, and you go and you read that text, time after time after time after time, Jesus says, hypocrites. And then he says, this is what you do. Hypocrites. This is what you do. See, it wasn't about the law. It was never about the law. It was never about Sinai. It was never about flesh and blood. It was never about about ethnicity. It was never about nationality. It was never about race. Now, did God use a particular race to do particular things? Absolutely. Sure he did. Being a blood Jew does not save you eternally. That's Paul's point. Listen to what he says. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, it was Abraham's faith that counted him as righteous, not his bloodline. Abraham wasn't even a Jew. Abraham, he was a Gentile. You get that? Abraham was a Gentile. You say, what does this got to do with me? You're all Gentiles. No, you, that's, that's right. You say, what is a Gentile? Let me define just for a second, because maybe some of you say, well, what is a Gentile? I'm a Gentile who? A Gentile in the, the text of the scriptures is anyone that's not a Jew. Basically, you could take the word Gentile and insert the word, word world. A Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. Anybody that's not a Jew. So God had spoken particular times in particular ways to a particular people about particular things. But in these last days, he has spoken through his son, and he has shown us not something different, but he has shown us what it was all about from the very beginning. That's a major distinction. I'm going to show you that through the scriptures. Listen here. He says, just as. He said, now, did you, receive this, did you receive these miracles that he worked miracles among you by the Spirit or by the law? He says, this is a rhetorical question. It's by the Spirit, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What he is doing is he is making a parallel and he is making an absolute uh, equivocation here. He's saying, you received it by the Spirit just like Abraham received it by the Spirit. It was never about ethnicity. Now look here. He says in verse 7, he says, Now then that, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of God. I wrote in my notes here to make sure I said this. Being a part of God's family was never gained by flesh or by law. If you go back and you read, amen, if you go back and you read Romans, uh, the whole book of Romans, but especially looking in Romans 3, Romans 2 at the end, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, 10, and 11, 
If you go and you read Romans, he is, there he is saying Jews and Gentiles are exactly the same in their sinfulness and they are exactly the same in their faith and being born again. There is, you, the circumcised must be born again by faith and the uncircumcised must be born again by faith. There is no distinction between Jew or Gentile. Listen, he goes on here. He says, know then that this is of those, who, uh, that those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. This is quoted from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Now, I want to jump back there. We're going to be looking in Genesis 12 and 15 today. But I want to read this for you. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Now, Paul, this is, uh, it's, this is important because what Paul is doing is he is reaching back and he is using the Old Testament text itself. He's quoting from the Bible, Paul is. When Paul says this, when Paul says in uh, Galatians chapter 3, when he says this, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. In you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, what many would say is that, well, he was doing one thing with, with Israel. He was doing another thing with the new covenant. But what Paul is saying here is that, no, as a matter of fact, he's been preaching the gospel from the very beginning. And we go back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and we find this. Let's go back to verse 5 just to give a little context. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven, speaking to Abram, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And when we look at that was, I'm sorry, that 15.6 is where he quoted Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as, as righteousness. If you go back and you look at Galatians, I mean, sorry, Genesis chapter three, chapter 12, verse three, listen to this. This is where he makes the gospel. He says in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor those who will curse you, and in you all the families, the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Take this off. I'm getting warm up here. What's the point? What's the point of it all? How does it apply to you? What is the point? You see, Abraham was counted as righteousness because of faith and nothing else. The point is, it's always been by faith. Martin Luther said this, and I wrote this quote down because I thought it was really good. Martin Luther says this, this is the main point of Paul's argument against the Jews. The children of Abraham are those who believe and not those who are born of Abraham's flesh and blood. This point, Paul drives home with all his might be the Jew, because the Jews attach saving value to the genealogical fact we are the seed and children of Abraham. Who remembers that text? Who remembers that text in John chapter 8? If you want to flip over there with me, I'm going to read there for just a second. John chapter 8. Listen to what he says here. They were saying that we are the children of Abraham, but I want you to listen to what Jesus Christ says. Jesus said to them, starting in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now remember, he's speaking to Jews here. This is going to be important. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Do you hear what they're saying? Hear what they're saying. Now, you're going to ask, how does this apply to me in just a minute? I'm going to show you. What they are saying is, is that our father, our bloodline goes back to Abraham. How can you say that we are enslaved to, to the flesh? How can you say that we are a slave to sin? How can you say that we need to be saved we are the people of God because of our bloodline. Okay? Hold on to that. Listen to what he says. How can you say you will become free? Jesus answered them. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Now, I want to make a distinction because Jesus is going to make a distinction. He says here, he says, I know you are offspring of Abraham. So he is acknowledging the fact that, yes, they are in the bloodline of the flesh of Abraham. In one sense, yes, they are the offspring of Abraham. But let's let him define what he means. You see how we do this. This is how we study the Scriptures. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now we're going. This is going to get good here. And Jesus is man. He's awesome. Watch what he does with these these guys. Okay, they answered him. Abraham is our father. They heard his tone. You got to understand. They heard Jesus' tone because he said, "I do the things of my father. You do the things of your father." They rise up. He said, "They say Abraham is our father." They had to have heard in Jesus' voice some kind of sarcasm. I think Jesus used sarcasm all the time. I mean, he's about to tell them their mom shagged the devil. Okay, all right. And they popped out, all right? I'm just telling you, I think Jesus was very, I think he made fun of people. I'm just saying, I don't know. I'm reading the Bible, okay? I'll keep reading. They answered him, Abraham is our father. So they must have heard him saying somehow that Abraham wasn't their father in some kind of innuendo or something, okay? Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you see, he's starting to turn it now. He told them that they were his offspring. But is there a distinction between fleshly offspring Spiritual offspring. Ooh, this is good. It's getting good. Who's liking it? Who's liking it? Okay, here we go. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. You remember 1 John chapter 3, 4 through 10 I, I read to you and said that the works of the law have no place in the conversation of justification, but we can talk about them in the realm of sanctification, but not that it would lead to sanctification, but it would be the product of sanctification, and that it would be the evidence by which we would know that you truly have been saved, that you truly are part of the family of God, and that God really is working through you, you see? He says here, if you were children, if Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. It would be show. You know, my sons look like me. People come up to me and they say, I would know that they were yours if you were not around. My sons look like me. They talk like me. They do stupid stuff just like me, right? They do what I do. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. You see how this is connected to what we're saying? Because Abraham didn't do that. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of, that your father did. You see, he's making this distinction. I think he's setting them up. He's about to smack them down. I believe it. I believe it. Let's keep reading and see. It's so good. You are doing the works of, that your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. <laughs> they were like, my mama, didn't, my mama didn't have sex with somebody else. I'm not an illegitimate child. I really am Abraham's child. I can hear him saying it now. Don't you? They said, we didn't come from sexual immorality. Nobody, nobody had sex sins to make us. That's what they said. Where are they getting this stuff? Can you imagine how Jesus was talking to them? Come on. This is really good, right? I mean, Jesus, is, we, we picture Jesus as this really nice guy who wears a purple robe, and he would never, he would never make anybody uncomfortable because he loves everyone. I believe he was making fun of them. <laughs> Let's keep reading and see. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Remember elsewhere where he said, my sheep hear my voice, my sheep know me. They know the sound of my voice. He's saying, why don't you if, you, if God's your father, why can you not hear me talking? Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Who was he speaking with? Huh? It's okay. Say it. Who is he speaking to? Jews. Speaking to Jews. He tells them that their mama got down with the devil. And here they are. They are not of God. How many people do you know that think because they were born into a Christian family, they're automatically counted in the family of God? How many people do you know that think because they go to church in the Bible Belt that they are part of the family of God? Or they wear a tie. Or they're really, they play really cool music. It goes both ways. How many people don't understand that not everybody's a child of God? You say, that's mean, preacher. No, that's truth. Should I say this? Should we not understand for the sake of necessity that God does not love everybody in the same way. Should we understand that the scriptures say that God hate God hates all workers of iniquity? Should we understand that the scripture says to make yourself out to be a friend of the world means that you're an enemy of God? Should we say that those who are not born of the spirit are of the flesh, and they will not inherit the kingdom. They will not experience blessing, but have the wrath of Almighty God abiding on them. I don't care what family you were born into. I don't care what nationality you are. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what denomination you are. If you think that those things bring you into the family of God, you are sorely mistaken, and you need Christ. Christ alone, in whom there is no partiality, in whom there is no distinction, Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, or free, one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's whole point here is, I don't mean to take anything away from the Jews. We're about to read here in just a second that God did a lot of things through them. He came to them first. And his heart is broken that many Jews will not accept him. And a Jew who believes in the gospel is part of the family. We who believe in the gospel are part of the family. But the children of Abraham are children by faith, not by flesh. Let's continue on. You see, even the Jews, God's chosen race, had to have faith in order to be counted among the true children. Romans chapter 9 says this better than I could, so I'll just read it. Romans chapter 9. Now, I want you to see here that we do not cast aside uh, those who are Jews, an ethnic Jew, an ethnic Israel. They do share a special place in the history of God. We understand that, correct? Uh, they are the ones that, well, let's just read it. God says it very well. Romans 9, starting in, in verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. This is Paul. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He is speaking now. You see, there is a great distinction in the scriptures themselves that the scripture makes between believing Jews and Jews that are just in the flesh. If you go and you read uh, Roman, Romans 9, Romans 10, and Romans 11, he is going to say things, or Romans chapter 2, uh, verse 29 says, he who is a Jew outwardly is not a Jew inwardly. Okay, he's going to make a distinction between all of Israel and true Israel. Okay, so Paul here speaks of those according to the flesh. 
They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong, they came to them first. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, through that bloodline, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. He is pleading. He is crying out. I wish that my brothers, according to the flesh, these Jews, who God saw before him, who he came to, he gave the law through them, the patriarchs. Patriarchs are there. Christ came from their bloodline. I wish I'm looking at these and he's crying out. He says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. There's our word, offspring. That word offspring can also be translated seed, offspring, children. You see, it's this, it's this coming from you, the seed that comes from you. Now, let's, let's continue on. We've got a little bit of ground to cover. So let's go back to, to Galatians chapter 3. The whole point is, is that... Uh, Paul is saying that um, the Gentiles don't need to follow the law. They're set free from the law. Now, they will if they believe. Now, if if they're truly born again, if they're truly justified, they will. But following the law is not a necessity for salvation or for justification. As a matter of fact, it's why we need justification. Amen? But once we're justified, we will start to walk out the law. But he is saying, but the Gentiles, see these Jewish false teachers, they come in, they said, you need to be circumcised. You need to, to, to receive the sign of the covenant. You see, circumcision was, was done on the eighth day to all Jewish boys and anybody who was in the house, slave or whatever. And this was the rite of passage. It was the sign. And I could go to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 12 and read all this. I'm going to save the time. If you want to go read it, I'm just going to kind of quote it, paraphrase it for you. Circumcision was the sign by which you would know that this was the people of God. This was the sign by which you would know that this was the covenant people of God. In our day, it's moved from, and and Paul will say very clearly in a bunch of different places that it was never about circumcision of the flesh, but it was about, this was a sign that really pointed to the circumcision of the heart. You see this, this, this delineation, this, 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 uh, difference that's that's called out by Paul continually. You have those who are outwardly Jews or outwardly uh, righteous, but then you have those who are inwardly righteous. You have the circumcision of the flesh and you have the circumcision of the heart. You have children of the flesh and you have children of the spirit. You see, children of faith. You have those who work the law and try to get righteousness and you have those who uh, by faith receive righteousness in Christ. And so what, what Paul Paul here is teaching, he's saying, look, the Gentiles don't have to follow the law, and neither do the Jews. He's saying, you're trying to put this on the Gentile when you don't even have to do that. And he's going to say that this was given to Abraham long before. He says, but the, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be, be blessed. So then those who are of faith are of blessing along with Abraham, the man of faith. He said he preached Jesus a long time ago. He preached Jesus a long time ago. And Jesus is needed for the salvation of the Jew as well, and it's always been that way. Now, let's move on. Verse 10. I'm sorry, verses, yeah, verse 10. For all, I don't want to skip over anything. Yeah, here we go. Verses 10 through 14, let's move on. For all who rely uh, uh, on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in this book of the law and do them. Now, what I want, now, I don't think I have to go back through and, and talk about the law and how it doesn't do all that anymore. But what I want to do is I want to move fairly rapidly and I want to show you something in verse 14 that kind of takes us to another place and another understanding. So here we go, listen. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written. Now he quotes the Old Testament here. He says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. And that uh, is Deuteronomy 27, 26, verse 12. But the law, uh, verse 11, I'm sorry. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. He's, he's repeating himself here. He is, he is driving this home. He says, the righteous shall live by faith. That's Habakkuk 2.4. Verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. He quotes it again. Christ redeemed us from the law, from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's Deuteronomy 21, 23. Now, that's just the gospel, right? Everybody recognizes that's the gospel. I don't have to go back through that, that the law had, had, it was waging on us. It cursed us. Jesus Christ become our sacrifice. He died in our place to fulfill the law, to take that off us, a propitiation for sin, okay? He died in our place. We changed places. But here, here's what I want you to see, though. He says this. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. Why? Here's what I want you to see. Verse 14. So that, there's our, there's our phrase that shows us what the, what the result, what the intended result was. Why did Jesus Christ do this? He said, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, in verse 14, that word there, now I read several commentaries on this. I really kind of pulled out and I got a little bit deeper here and I don't want to confuse you. But where it says here, and it should have a little asterisk or something in your Bible if you're there. But in verse 14 where it says, so that we might receive the promised, Holy, the promised spirit through faith. I think the ESV kind of uh, doesn't do justice quite as well. I think that should be, it's two pneumatis, which means of the Spirit or from the Spirit. And so here I think what this should read is, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. And remember, what does Gentile mean? The world. Okay? Now what he's saying is Jesus Christ was hanged on a tree to fulfill the law so that, so that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham. What's the blessing of Abraham? Christ Jesus might come to the Gentiles or to the world. So it might come to the world so that we, now who's the we? Paul is saying me, the Jews included everybody, that we might receive the, the promises of the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit through faith. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now you say, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? How many promises were made in the Old Testament. A lot. Land promises, uh, multiplication promises, national promises, all these promises, right? And we wanted. <laughs> huh? Somebody gonna roll their windows up because it ain't raining in two months. We prayed for it and it rained today, huh? Before we even got out of church. Praise his holy name, huh? That is freaking awesome. I'll say it just like that, too. Praise God. Amen. Come on. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> hey, that sounded pretty good, didn't it, Wesley? That was all right. I can't even know where I was now. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles or to the rest of the world or to the world so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, what, what I, why I made that distinction right there, and we're getting close, why I made that distinction right there is that I, I went back and forth with several people who uh, have legitimate they think legitimate reasons why they believe what they believe. And there's all kind of different systems. And I was had breakfast with Mickey the other day, yesterday, and we was talking about this. And man, a preacher would drive himself crazy. And, and the guys that came into my office this morning and prayed with me, it's, it's a tough thing to do what I do sometimes. And not because I love to get into the text, but how far do we go? Like how much can I give you? You know, how big a bites of steak can I give you all just before you start choking on it, you know? 
And I know there are people in the room who you have no church background, and so it's just hard. You know, it's tough because I want you to understand what's being said, but also I want those who have been in church for a while, I want them to get a greater understanding of what the Scriptures are teaching. And so it's like a, you know, you need to, to, to preach to everybody. Uh, but, but the Holy Spirit will do His work. I, I trust that. And so what I want to do here, I want to go far enough that we can get a good understanding of what Paul is saying here. Now, all the promises that were made in the Old Testament, all the prophecies that were made, some of them were physical and some of them were spiritual. My stance is this. Okay, now, I think that I have great biblical support for this, but here's my stance. I believe that while there are physical implications to the physical prom promises that were made, there remains a greater understanding and a greater fulfillment to every promise that was made. Okay? We can find physical, natural, earthly fulfillments of those promises. Amen. There is importance for the ethnic nation of Israel. Amen. But the physical fulfillment of the promise and the fleshly nation of Israel are means to a greater end. They all point to something bigger, namely Jesus. When Paul is opening up our understanding of what was preached beforehand to Abraham, he says that it was always this way, and it had to be this way, or the promises of the Spirit would have never been fulfilled. If it was by any other way, it could not have been fulfilled. If righteousness could come by the law, then there would not have been a need for a Savior. The whole reason that the Savior came was so that any of us, any of us might be able to participate in the blessings of the promise of the Spirit made to Abraham so many years ago, which was always through faith. Does that make sense? Now, I'm going to do three more verses, and we're going to go. I think, this is, I think this is important because what I want to show you is, is that what I just told you. I'm not making this up. You know, I had a, I had, and I love this guy, but I had a guy tell me, he said, you think that every verse is about Jesus? I said, yes. He said, no, it's not. That Jesus inspired the text, but not every verse is about Jesus. I said, I absolutely have to disagree. <laughs> Let me just read the text. I don't want you to think this idea is on me. I don't want you to think I'm super spiritualizing everything because there's danger in making everything a type and saying, oh, well, you know, this thing in the Old Testament, well, I believe that means this, 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 and this. No, you can't do that. And I've got some good uh, counterbalances here in the room that help me with that. Uh, Mickey's one of them. Robert's one of them, Dan is one of them, Mark's one of them, uh, Randy Whitener, I think he's in kid. Well, a bunch of you guys, a bunch of you guys. Because I love to see Jesus in the text. Yeah, come on. I love to see Jesus in the text. But what I don't want to do is stretch something farther than it's intended to stretch. And that's, 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 that's a very legitimate concern. Because... While I would rather err on making it about Jesus when it was actually talking about something else, I don't want to read my understanding or my imagination into the text. I don't want to do that. But guys, when the Scripture identifies the type, when the Scripture identifies the foreshadowing, when the Scripture gives us greater understanding to something that had a lesser understanding, then we go with the scripture and we don't even we don't even worry about it amen
So let me read for you what Paul does. Paul tells us exactly the greater implications of the promises. And in my opinion, even the land promise. Are there physical implications of the land promise? Sure. Did they? Was the, was the land of Canaan given to the, national, the, the, the nation of Israel? Yeah. But is, it, but is that promise really fulfilled in that physical piece of property? Let's read the Bible. To give a human example, we're starting in verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Once it's been established, then nobody add to it. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Now this is important. I know we're getting a little late, but I want to show you where he quotes from. Because this is very significant. Do you want to turn with me or I'll just read it to you? Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. Very significant. He says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. So how many were the promises made to? Come on, that was easy. One. And to your offspring, that's where he quoted Genesis 12, 7. We're going to go there in just a second. And to your offspring, who is Christ? Who is the one that all the promises were really made to? Come on, that's easy. They were made to the offspring, and the offspring is Christ. Okay? Now, Paul just gave us the greater understanding of who the promises were actually for at the end of the day. Were there physical uh, fulfillments to those promises as well? Yes. We see them. We believe them. We say amen. But what we see here is there was a greater meaning. And Paul is the one, not Brandon, not different systems of theology. Paul said, the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring, not to offsprings, but his offspring, which is one who is Christ. The promises were made to Christ. Now, what promises? Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor, uh, and, I, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the, of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land of the place of Shechem to the oak of Moriah at the time of the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham, and here's the quote, and said, to your offspring I will give this land. To who? To his offspring. Paul explains to us who is the offspring, which is Jesus Christ. Now, the text is clear. What's the implications of this? God is birthing for himself a particular people. He began this work through the nation of Israel. But the work that was done through the nation of Israel was the introduction to a greater reality. And the promises made to Abraham and his offspring were actually always realized in Jesus Christ. 
the seed of Abraham, the children of Abraham, are not those of the flesh, but of the Spirit, whether they be Jew or whether they be Gentile. What this means for you is that when the text says that we are not born of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, that you are the offspring of Christ. And if you be the offspring of Christ, if you be born again through faith in Jesus Christ and you become a child of God, you then become an heir of Christ and an heir to the throne. Child of God, this is empowering. And it brings us into the fold of God and says, there is now Therefore, no condemnation. There is no distinction. It's not about where you come from. It's not about where you're going. It's not about what family you know or what name that you have. It's not about what sin that you have or what righteousness that you've done. It's not about any of that, but it's about whether or not you have had faith in Jesus Christ. And that will depend on if you've received the Holy Spirit and been born into the family of God. I was down here praying a little earlier. And as we all stand to our feet, we're closing it out. This, I was down here praying earlier, and the Lord was just speaking to my heart, and the Spirit was so thick. Listen, we operate as slaves all the time. We operate as slaves, and we, we put these laws and restrictions on ourselves when we're heirs to the throne. You are the seed of Abraham. You are the children of the faith. If indeed you be uh, in the family of God through belief and faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer. You have not received a, a spirit of slavery that leads to fear, but a spirit of adoption that sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. This is what I want you to know, and I wish that you could grab this because it would make a difference out there. Listen, I'm not something because I'm something, but I'm somebody because he's somebody. I'm a child of God. And in being a child of God, I'm an heir to the throne, and all of this is mine. I don't say that in pride. I can't because it was none. No flesh will glory in his presence. But I tell you what I do have the privilege to do now. I call dead people to life. I speak and invite people to come be a part of my family. The gospel that I proclaim is wealthy enough to secure the adoption of many souls. You can't get... The, listen, there's a lot of you in this room that think you were born into some type of family and you're doomed forever. There's many of you in here that think you were born into some family and now you're good. There's many of you in here who just have the wrong idea about who you are in God. You think that there is something else going on when all, the whole time, even in Old Testament Israel, it was all about bringing everybody, the whole kingdom in by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Even Abraham, he, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham, Jesus said of Abraham, Abraham longed to see my day and was glad because even before Abraham was, I am. Have you been born into the family of God? Are you partakers of the blessings of Abraham? You see, the implication of this is, is if all the promises were made to Jesus Christ and to his offspring, then that applies not just to the Jew. It doesn't apply just to, to Israel. We can read the Old Testament, and all of those promises are ours through Christ. All of those promises have implications of Jesus Christ and his people. And the last thing I'll say is this. Have you ever seen a picture of unity greater than the one in Jesus Christ in this place? What did the text say? What, did the, what was the promise to Abraham? That I will make you, your offspring as numerous as the star, your descendants as numerous as the star. And where will they come from? Huh? From every tongue? from every tribe, from every nation. Oh, man. 
We're so divided. Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. Split denominationally. Split culturally. Split morally. Telling you, Jesus Christ is where the whole family comes together. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your skin color doesn't matter to me. Your age doesn't matter to me. Your socioeconomic, how much money you got, it don't matter to me. And it shouldn't matter to you. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's where true unity is found. All the promises of God find their amen in Jesus Christ. And I will go to war any day to defend the fact that the, all of the Scripture teaches Jesus. And they all find their fulfillment. Their ultimate fulfillment is found in the God-man, Jesus Christ. If you're experiencing now, how does this apply and how do we respond? If you feel as if you're cut off from the family of God because of your ethnicity, because of your financial status, because of your educational level, all you deplorables, because, oh yeah, I forgot, because of your uh, race, because of your weight, because of whatever. Jesus washes all of that away. Because no flesh can glory in his presence, none of us can stand before God and say, look at me. Look what I have done. We all say, look to him. Let's respond accordingly. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus.